0: In the song of the suffering coming Messiah the Lamb of God remember John the Baptist said Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and Isaiah writing hundreds and hundreds of years Before the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ according to God's timetable Was directed by the Spirit of God to uh, to give this and so uh, I'd like to invite you to stand in respect for God's holy word and almost feel like <clears throat> the burning bush that uh, this is such a holy, all the Word of God is holy, but this is one, almost the holy of holy to me, uh, looking forward to this coming prophetic announcement of Christ that, uh, you know, I feel like saying, let's kick off our shoes for this indeed is holy, holy ground. F- please follow along as I read Isaiah 52, verse 13, to the end of th- 53. Uh, this Suffering Servant Sonata, if you will. Verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations and kings shall shut their mouths because of him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? They made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the, of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, and out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and he makes intercession for the transgressors. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his wonderful, wonderful word. Let's uh, dismiss our children at this time to their classes. And shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much for this day, and we thank you uh, for all that it means in the Christian calendar as we think about it. Time is a funny thing, Lord, it's so elusive, it's mysterious, and it moves on uh, ever so, and yet as we think back 20 centuries ago, even uh, this day, Lord, the great uh, triumphant uh, entrance in the city of Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday, the Lord came unto his own and was going to enter into this week, this great week of passion and suffering. We thank you for it, Father. We thank you that you're sovereign, you're great, you work your providential will in the lives of men and women, boys and girls, and throughout history, for history is really his story. It's your story. The end and the beginning is already written in the eternal counsels and decrees of God, and we thank you for it. You're a God who's not only creator and you are, and we bow before thee as our maker. You have made us, Lord. We are not self-made; it's impossible. We're not cosmic accidents; that's impossible. You have made us fearfully and wonderfully. And as we look at the creation, the cosmos shouts, "Glory to God!" The beauty of the great lights—the sun and the moon and the stars—and the beauty of the earth and the changing of the seasons. Now springtime, where are the appearance of deadness? There's the greening of the grass and the blooming of the flowers and the trees. Life, begetting life, it's beautiful. The colors and the spectrum and it shouts glory to God. It makes us anxious to see what heaven is like. If we enjoy the spectrum of color here, we can't imagine the spectrum and the glory and the music and the beauty of heaven. We thank you for a reflection of it, though marred here on earth in a fallen world. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, for this week as we think about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this was the week of all weeks, a week like no other week. It's the holy week. It's the week of passion, the week of suffering. As we think about it, as the dear children of God through adoption, through the righteousness that is ours that comes only by faith not of works, lest any men should boast. As we think about it, as the children of God saved and having our sins washed through the finished substitutionary atonement on the cross, may we think about it each day as we walk through this week, Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We think about the death of our Savior. We think about being laid into a tomb. And then as we look forward to the triumphant next Sunday, the great day, the resurrection day. Thank you so much. Thank you for the gospel, the great news. It's not only the cross, but it's the empty tomb. Thank you so much that you have brought us near. There are so many people in the world that have never heard the gospel. There are so many people that have heard it and pay very little attention. But you have brought us near through the Spirit of God, through the hearing of the gospel, through those that lovingly shared with us The greatest story ever told. And you have saved us and forgiven us of all of our sins and cleansed us and declared us to be sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We thank you for it. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us. We love you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And pray that the Spirit would gather this morning our great teacher and teach us. And any here that know not Christ, whether young or old, that you would draw them and save them and settle that greatest of all question, that a man or woman would be right with holy God, that they would believe upon the Lord Jesus and be saved even today. We pray for that. For the great number of us, may we be discipled and edified and built up. And may, Father, we find cleansing and washing from our sin, Lord, that we'd leave this place and enter a new week of service, for that's what life is. We're given to serve and to be a blessing. May we learn to give, Lord. Live to give is what we say. Thank you for that. Lord, we're a people that are needy in many areas. And we've heard just a fraction of them during our sharing time. We lay them all at your feet, Lord. know that that represents just a small number of heartache and pain and, and anxiousness and worry, and things that we carry, Lord. We're, we're frail, we're small, we're puny, we're not able, Lord, to do very much. We need Thee every moment, Lord. We hide ourselves in You. And so we pray for these things. Pray for Marianne and Bob, that You provide housing for them, Lord. We commit them to You. We pray, thank You for bringing Jeremy home and in the service of uh, our country, Lord, for he and Stacy and the children. We thank You for them so much. We thank You, Lord, for these many medical issues and pray that You'd undergird and draw close and work Your will And through that, comfort hearts, save the lost, and work your purposes, Lord, which are so far beyond our ability to understand. We can't know. You work on so many planes. We'll just commit ourselves to you. We walk by faith, not by sight. Help us like Peter, Lord, to keep our eyes fixed upon you in the midst of the storm as we walk through life. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Open the word of God and teach us now. We desire to be fed with the, with the heavenly manner of the Word of God, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to motivate us, to cause us to love you more and more and more. We pray to all these things in Jesus' precious and wonderful name, amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 23, entitled, uh, The Message, uh, The Cross, uh, The Great Work. Luke uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter twenty-three. The cross, the great work. You know, there there have been a lot of great works that have been done in life. You know, you think about it. I don't know what you would consider to be a great work, but there are many of them uh, that uh, come to my mind when I think about it. And I don't even go back that far in history uh, when I think of it. Uh, some of uh, would include the uh, Great Wall of China. And that certainly was a great work of man when you think about uh, that. Uh, it was a defense device uh, that uh, was devised uh, to protect the, uh, the, the, the hinder part of China. Have, have any of you seen the Great Wall China? I wonder. And uh, the world is shrinking, and I'm sure Jim may have uh, seen it as well as others. Uh, that certainly was a, an enormous work. How about the pyramids? Uh, that uh, would be considered one of the great works, and and uh, to see uh, there uh, in Giza, outside of Cairo, uh, the massive uh, number of stones that were put together. We're still not exactly sure how that engineering feat was uh, was done. There were several common theories to that end, but, but really were uh, in the dark on it. It was one of the thrills of my life after having studied biblical history and then ancient history to be able to... Crawl through some of those great uh, uh, pyramids and go into the inner ch- uh, chambers uh, of it to see that. That was a, a great, thrill. certainly a great, a, a great work. Uh, the Great Wall in China and uh, the pyramids, they say, from the surface of the moon are about the only two man made things that you can actually see from the surface of the moon, the moon, which is a quarter million miles away. That's, uh, that's pretty fantastic when you think about it. Certainly a great work. Now, in my father's way of thinking, uh, and some of you will recount, he, he thought one of the greatest enterprises ever done by man was uh, the Panama Cam- Canal and was uh, fit nearly to be tied. Uh, you know, that's a sign that you're out of your mind like you're a raving uh, maniac and they're going to tie you up and carry you away. When, when, uh, but he was when he said Jimmy Carter gave the canal away and uh, And all that the French couldn 't build it; they pulled out. It was the American engineering and a lot of sweat and blood, and a lot of people died with the malaria and all that down there to put the Panama Canal uh, through that that uh, that little narrow body of of water there in Panama, and uh, made uh, navigating from the Pacific to the Atlantic a whole lot shorter than going around the tip of south america but that that's another generation, another day, I had several generations ago, right? But certainly one of the, one of the great, uh, great works. And uh, in, in my day, you know, I think about it's a little bit different, but uh, the moonshot that Kennedy sent us on in the 60s, you know, you go like, that was an enormous feat, you know? And uh, by this decade, he, he said, uh, we will, we will uh, put a man on the moon. And it uh, it uh, galvanized all sorts of people, engineering and science departments and uh, across the land to uh, begin to focus on doing that. Of course, there was a wake-up call with the Russians at uh, a <laughs> satellite orbiting, or orbiting Sputnik. You remember that? Some of you do, some of you don't. And uh, and then sent the uh, URI up, the first astronaut, went up, came down, and we were like, whoa, we're way behind here. And uh, that was fantastic. And it was a thrill for me to go down. Have you been down to Cape Canaveral, if you've had a chance to be down in Florida? To actually go there and see uh, the different uh, elements of the the NASA, the Apollo, the Mercury, Gemini, and then Apollo. And then to actually see a Saturn V rocket, uh, an enormous rocket, five engines that that powered the capsule out of the Earth's uh, uh, gravitational pull. You know the... uh, the, uh, the space uh, launchings we've had in recent years do not. That stays in the gravitational pull of the Earth. It took the Saturn V str- with the thrust to get it outside of the gravitational pull of the Earth to be able to, to catapult that uh, capsule so then, it would uh, circle the, the the moon and then land on it. Certainly, an, an enormous work, one that uh, is thrilling. I often wonder about those guys that say it really didn't happen. And it was over in Arizona. You know, <laughs> I like, like, stay indoors. Don't go outside. You could get hurt. You know? <laughs> certainly, a great work. Well, uh, when I think of great work, maybe you'd add three or four, ten others. You, you know, certainly wonderful, wonderful things that uh, God has given. Man who's made in God's image, you know, we're able to refashion and reshape the things that God has given, the elements of the earth, the timber, to build with the stone, the masonry, the metal, all these things uh, to refashion, reshape, and to build, cultivate, and to establish uh, uh, life here on earth. Uh, maybe uh, you'd come up with others, but I want to suggest to you that the cross, out of all the works that man ever did, All of them. What was accomplished at Calvary uh, was the greatest by, by, by far of any work that was ever done anywhere. And everything else pales and fades right off the horizon into, what was that? I don't even see it anymore by comparison. It was the work of the cross of Jesus and what he accomplished. Well, today's Palm Sunday. It's, uh, It's that great day that uh, the Lord, um, I must needs go to Jerusalem, he pressed on to that city, very aware of the timetable, the divine timetable, uh, and he came to the city, and uh, he had given instruction to to his disciples, two of them, to go in and to find the colt of a donkey that had never been ridden on, that he was going to ride in to the city, and, uh, and it was in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 9, that uh, the minor prophet, minor only because the book is shorter, not because it's not a major message, he had said that your king will come riding on, the, on such an animal, and it was on this very day. Now, I think also that this very day, and we've looked at Daniel 9 in the past, the Daniel 70 weeks, that this was the very day And when the clock stopped at the end of the 69th week or 483 years after the the decree uh, to go and to rebuild Jerusalem on March the 14th, uh, many, many years before, on this day. And that's why Jesus said, if you had only known this day, He's not just talking in general, you know, like this day, what is it, April 17th today? No, this day was the divine day from eternity past that got it working uh, within the scope of his history. Uh, that was the day Jesus was going to ride into the city. Uh, and and he, is, uh, he is to be hailed by the crowd as King. Hosanna, King of the Jews. And they put uh, garments over the donkey because. A king doesn't sit bareback, and they drop the uh, palm branches, branches from the tree down on the pathway, and even their outer garments. And as the Lord rode in that late, it was late afternoon, into the city of Jerusalem. I, I've stood there outside the walled city that was built, uh, rebuilt many years later by the Turks, but imagine that very, very scene riding in from, uh, uh, from the direction of Bethany. Uh, this uh, would begin the last week of the Lord's life on earth prior to the cross, and he would be crucified a few days later. You, you may not be interested. Uh, years ago, I did a study on that, and it's a plus or minus, but if you want to know my guesstimation on the day that Jesus was actually crucified, uh, I, my guess would be April the 13th, 32 A.D., uh, you may want write that down. Some of you, had, you could care less than writing that down. Others are like, oh, that's interesting. I never heard of that before. But in trying to work out several different calendars and schemes and all these kind of things, that's the day. And you say, well, today's April 17th, and, uh, and it's Palm Sunday, and next week is how come it's not the thir- 13th? Uh, Passover is in relationship to the lunar calendar and the full moon. And that's why it, you say, well, why, does, why is Easter so late this year? And it is late, isn't it? It's the last Sunday in April. Uh, it's very late. It's, it's tied in and, and the Passover uh, and the full moon and, and all that, because Jesus, in accordance with the Scripture, all of that was to prefigure him as the Passover lamb, the lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And in 32 A.D., uh, that happened, uh, I believe, and it's going to be plus or minus. If it's not that exact day, it's going to be plus or minus. Well, the unfolding of this week <clears throat> would reveal God's great program and timetable for saving men and women. This was the whole reason he came to earth, was to save a people uh, for himself. He was to offer himself as the Lamb of God to pay for our sins. No greater work ever done than that. His work as our Savior was this great work because he was the substitute. You know that there are many uh, pastors and theologians that uh, despise the teaching of substitutionary atonement? Uh, back in 1908, uh, uh, there was a, a whole work done called the Fundamentals of the Faith, and those that adhere to them were called Fundamentalists. A lot of times today you'll hear about some wacko groups and they're Islamic fundamentalists, or this one—it's like it's a dirty word, and that. But what it simply means is: what are the basic planks of of Christianity? Uh, you know, you have the inerrancy of Scripture, the second coming of Christ, you have the deity of Christ. One of those uh, was, in fact, <clears throat> the substitutionary atonement that the Bible clearly teaches. Uh, that Jesus was not just a, a religious revolutionary good man who got run over. Albert Schweitzer taught that by the system, always oh, in the shame he died sort of a thing. But uh, uh, that we, we reject that. Or uh, he's an example to us of suffering in, in an evil world. Well, it's true he is an example, but he's much more than that. The Bible clearly teaches that uh, he is our substitute. In the world the the, the way the re, one of the reasons why it's rejected is well what kind of god would require uh, such a sacrifice, such a demanding sacrifice that he would pour out his wrath in a substitution manner upon his own son? Uh, and uh, well, take a step back and consider He's more than a God of love, though we sing love found a way, but he's a holy God. He's a God of justice. Uh, We live in a day of weak justice, you know, like, oh, can't we grade on an average? Can't you just, you know, uh, pat me on the head and let me go? Justice demands an equal and fair payment. And for the wages of sin is death. And God could not wink at our sin, just, oh, I'll let them in, they're nice people, It demanded a payment, a payment which he himself uh, sought to provide. And remember, back in Genesis 22, there where Abraham was told to offer Isaac on Mount Moriah. And what a story in that. The son of promise. uh, Abraham, an old man, goes up there with his son. Takes uh, his son, takes the wood, and uh, they go up uh, onto Mount Moriah. And uh, God had told him, I want you to offer your own son. And Abraham was willing to do that. And we never find that anywhere in the world, uh, in, the, in the scriptures where God demands a human sacrifice. In fact, it's an anathema, it's a cursed thing. The Canaanites did it, and God hated it. And, but it was the only place... And Abraham was ready to do that. And we know from Hebrews 11, the only reason that he was willing to do that was that he, he knew that Isaac was the son of promise, and if God had ordered that, he would resurrect Isaac from the dead. We see that in Hebrews 11. But God stopped him right at that point, didn't he? God stopped him. And uh, the text says, well, where is the ram, Father? And the text says, and God himself will provide. God himself will provide. And there is a wonderful picture there of what would unfold years later, 2,000 years later there at Calvary, that God himself would provide the lamb, the ram in that case, the the bloody sacrifice. And that's what God did. Jehovah Jireh, you know, sometimes we sing that, don't we, Jehovah? That's the word. That's the word in the Hebrew, that, that God would provide. And God provided for us in his own son in a substitutionary fashion, the Lamb of God, to pay for our sins. Wow. <clears throat> well Dr. Luke tells of this his crucifixion, not only his his entrance on Palm Sunday, but then each day through uh, that holy of holy weeks, this week that we're now into, uh, and and you can and I encourage you to read that in your quiet time this week. Uh, and he recounts some of the marvelous things that took place. And So I want us to, in our mind, okay, the Lord went into the city, then he came out, and then he went back in and out during that week, and he's teaching, and he's cleansing the temple, and he's doing some miracles, and then he's out, he's sleeping outside of the city this very week, and, uh, <clears throat> and the Mount of Olives, uh, Olivet Discourse, some of you are familiar with that, he's teaching, one shall be the sign of the of the Lord's coming, and when he comes again, and then he's, uh, he does the Passover. We, we often refer to that at the Lord's Supper. This will be the last that I drink of the fruit of the vine with you. Remember that? And, uh, and then we're in the Upper Room Discourse, John fourteen fifteen and 16. Judas is left to do his dastardly deed. He's with the eleven now, and he's getting them ready for what's going to happen in the next few hours. He goes then to the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he is praying for three separate one-hour period of time. And then the arresting, uh, our soldiers come, led by Judas. He is arrested, taken to pilots. Uh, he is questioned. He is kept unlawfully. There's a hurried trial. They condemn him. Uh, the Jews were not allowed by the Romans to execute. Uh, only the Romans could, could do that. And so they quickly brought him to Pilate's. And that's how he said, well, how did that happen? They brought him to Pilate's house uh, and woke him, and they wanted Pilate to condemn him as a revolutionary. He claimed to be king. There's no king but Caesar. You remember that. And uh, he didn't want to do it. I find nothing in this man. We find that none at all. They they hated him. It was satanic uh, to kill the author of life, the Savior, the Lord, all part of the plan of God and plan and program. God planned it. They did it freely. Uh, it's part of that indefinable. God's plan is all-encompassing, and yet it includes the free will acts of uh, sinful men and women. Uh, acts 4 tells that. They, they carried out the, the term and counsel of God, yet they did it. Pilate didn't say, God, don't make me do this. I don't want to condemn you. Cruci- uh, he'll be crucified then. Remember that? Crucify him. Do you want Barabbas? No. Crucify Jesus. The crowds yelled. The mob, and they crucified him. They beat him beyond mar. They ripped his beard out. They put the thorn of uh, the uh, the crown of thorns into his head. And he bled. And they, they, the Bible says in Isaiah, we just, they beat him beyond mar. He was beat beyond any man. Bludgeoned he was. Stripped naked and had to carry the Via della Rosa, the way of suffering. He had to carry the cross and uh, and uh, went uh, to Golgotha, the, the hill that uh, looked like a skull. I've stood there outside of the city of Jerusalem, and if it's in the right place there in the garden, there is a, a strange-looking piece of uh, limestone there with, uh, like, eye sockets. You look at that from an angle, it looks just like a skull right on the main uh, roadway that uh, Gordon's Calvary there, and uh, there's a garden there. As the text said, in the vicinity of Golgotha was a garden. And uh, there, in fact is one there. And they hung him on the cross. They nailed him there and it was, um, traditionally we celebrate that on Friday. Some debate whether it was Thursday. We're not told the day in the Bible. So if it was Friday then we'd know. But uh, of the thought there is that the sign of Jonah, three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah. So shall the Son of Man be. So you count it backwards from Resurrection Sunday. You're like ah, that had to be Thursday, but it matters not if it's thir- And then the Jews started the day at six p.m. or sunset the night before. Not like the Roman time that we do. We start at midnight. Right, the, day, the next day starts at that time. And they hung him <clears throat> on the cross. And it was about 9 o'clock in the morning. There's a book that came out a number of years ago. It was entitled Six Hours, One Friday. And uh, whether it was Friday or not, let's assume it was. Uh, most people would say it is. I'm not sure. But Six Hours, One Friday. That, uh, that's the length of time that Jesus was hanging on the cross. Now, in the first three hours on the cross... You see the Lord as he's being nailed there, and we've had series on the seven sayings of the cross. Uh, th- he's being nailed to the cross. It's on the ground yet. Father, forgive them for they know what, not what they do. And, and, and you'll remember that. <clears throat> and you'll remember the different other words. Uh, while the Lord hung during that three-hour period of time on the cross, You know, uh, he, he said there to a to John, that uh, take care of my mother, and that's your son, that's your mother. In other words, he's caring for his mother during that time that she would be cared for. And church history tells us (coughs) just that, that (coughs) Mary went to live with John wherever he was until she finally died. Many, many years later, we we see the Lord thirsting. (coughs) We see him with a penitent thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a glorious statement, really. It's filled with so much hope and promise that uh, it reminds the the believer that uh, absent from the body is instantly present with the Lord, not some holding tank. Uh, What did he say to the penitent thief on the cross? He said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise in glory. What great news that is. When we close our eyes instantly, we're in the presence of the Lord. Well, then, then around noon, noon came, and uh, right at that time, after three hours on the cross, Jesus um, announces uh, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. You know, you see it in your, what in the world that? Aramaic, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we discover there that it's the first time ever that Jesus refers to his Father as God and not father, not the family relationship. And and it's suggested, and I think rightfully so, that he is now entering into a sin-bearing burden, and he is now sin uh, before his father in bearing it in a legal sense. Remember, he who knew no sin was made sin. Huh? In what way? He didn't sin, but he was made legal sin. He was our substitute. He was the Lamb of God that... Uh, uh, that had been uh, executed for hundreds and hundreds of years on the Day of Atonement. As the hands were laid on the, the animal's head and the sins were, were pronounced uh, and, and substitutionary symbolically transferred to that animal. Then that animal was killed for the wages of sin is death. And all of that would point toward the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. As now he enters into the darkest of dark periods. We don't hear anything from him uh, in the text from noon then, from that point until the very end uh, 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 at 3 o'clock when uh, he gave up his spirit. And uh, there are several things that happened at the cross that announced to us God the Father uh, did some glorious things here that accompanied the hanging of our Savior on the cross, hung between heaven and earth, announcing to us the uh, Don't miss this. This is, this is the great act. This is the great work. And uh, these are things that accompany that. And I, I, they, they just struck me this week. And I thought, like, let's focus on the crucifixion, the cross, and these miracles that accompanied, uh, helping to announce this is the great work. Don't miss this. So many people will, will spend this week like every other week Don't you miss that. Don't get sucked into that in the escalator of life. Walk through this in a holy hush, taking off, as it were, your shoes, thinking and meditating, maybe missing a meal and worshiping uh, this week as we move towards Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday uh, with the resurrection. And so three crucifixion miracles revealing to us that Jesus' death, the great work, was like any other. For in his death... In his death, I remind you, it's the Lamb of God. He's like the great conquering general. He is going to conquer uh, the three enemies, right? Sin, Satan, and death. For in his death was the death of death. It would end it forever. Well, the, fir- the three miracles. The first one is darkness descended on the land. Look at the Luke's Gospel. Luke uh, now is going to focus in verse 44. He says it was now about the sixth hour. Now, you you always have to look. You might say, well, how come the gospel accounts have different time sequence? They're writing to different audiences. Uh, And remember, Dr. Luke is not a Jew. Uh, He's a Gentile. He's a physician. He's writing to the greater non-Jewish audience. We see that. He explains Jewish terms. He's explaining certain areas of Palestine that you're like, every Jew would know that. Why is he saying that? You know, he's writing to a greater number of people. So he's writing, in it's a Roman sense. So now it's uh, about the sixth hour. Now he's referring to Roman time. And so it's noon. It's 12 o'clock noon. He's writing about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, till that's 3 p.m. in the afternoon, when the sun's light failed. Well, that's the, the first crucifixion miracle that accompanied the, the death of our Savior on his cross, shouting to us that this is the great work, the greatest work ever done. Darkness descended on the land. Jesus bore our, ju- our judgment for sin. Well, uh, A, Jesus hung on the cross from 9 a.m. to 3 for six hours. It was during the last three hours that God sent this darkness as Jesus became sin for us. I also put down on the sheet, uh, Matthew and Mark also refer to this. Now, this darkness was a literal darkness. It was a phenomenal darkness. God, who is creator and, and sustainer of all things, able to do whatever he desires to do at any moment, at any time. <clears throat> Remember the miraculous light that uh, was over the birth of Christ that the Magi were able to follow? That was, uh, that was uh, miraculously announcing the place of, of the Savior. <clears throat> Here is just the, just the opposite of it. Here's the, the darkness that God shrouded over uh, this, uh, this incredible scene. It's literal darkness with great symbolic meaning. It was not an eclipse of the sun. Some will try and explain it away. They, 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 they hate any sort of miraculous, anything supernatural, but I'm reminded we can't do very much anyway, can we? What's natural and what's super? supernatural? You mean it's above what I can do? Well, that's not very far. You know, how high can you reach up? You know, <laughs> God's able to do whatever He wants to do at any time. God's able to do that, and, and that's not a problem, uh, and, and so on. And so it's not, it's not a, an eclipse of the sun. How do we know that? A couple of reasons. First of all, uh, a solar, even a total solar eclipse. How many of you have seen a, a solar? You didn't look at it, I hope. You, you got a reflective thing there, right, and did that. Uh, I remember a solar eclipse came in when I was a young boy. It was a total eclipse in the Buffalo area, and it lasted about eight or nine minutes, maybe ten minutes, and that that was it, and my mother was like, all her babies were in the house. Shut all the curtains. Get in the inner room. Your retinas are going to burn out. Not my kids, you know. Like it really made you tempting. You wanted to look outside. What's happening? You know, like <laughs> what is this? But it only lasted. It was all the hub dropping, and then it only lasted a little bit and it was gone. This was not a, an eclipse. It was not even a total eclipse. This was three hours. This is supernatural. God shrouded the whole event with uh, literal darkness. Also, we know that uh, with the Jewish calendar, that this is, the, this is Passover. This is the very day that the lambs had been slain for 1,400 years. Passover was always at a full moon. And you have a full moon, you've got to have a sun over here shining on the whole moon. You don't have an eclipse of any sort. And so it was supernatural. <clears throat> People that have a problem with that have a problem with God. And not with the text. Well, what was the symbolic meaning of this darkness that struck the land at noon? And think about that. All of a sudden, the land would get dark at noon. Kind of eerie. Darkness at noon. There's something new. Well, a couple of things. Darkness is often in the Bible as a sign of evil. Jesus used uh, the word that way. Just uh, look at twenty two fifty three. The Lord speaking about it said, "But this." Is your hour the power of darkness? When he's talking uh, there at his arrest, this is your hour and the power of darkness, meaning meaning evil. And, and, and the, the dark side, sometimes you'll hear that. He went over to the dark side. We, we know what we mean by that, children of light, children of righteousness, God's children the darkness uh, referring to evil in it. Sometimes the Bible refers to that. How appropriate, then, for this most evil of all crimes. Was was not this the most evil of all crimes? I mean, here you have the only true righteous man that ever lived and the travesty of the injustice of of those mock court situations. It was a gross of grosses... uh, uh, criminal injustice. If anyone should have been set free, it was the Lord Jesus. He never did any wrong. I know sometimes people get all upset about O.J. Simpson and the outcome of that. He he did it. He did it. I know he did it, you know, and all that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and you guys know, so what an injustice. And uh, you saw that come about when he had that recent problem trying to recruit, uh, re, uh, uh, to, to recoup his, his uh, souvenirs and things. He went in with a bunch of guys and with guns, and, and they really threw the book at him. Yeah, I felt like, well, that was a backlash. They're trying to sort of maybe get back at him because of the sense he got off. You say, well, that's, that was a real injustice. That's nothing compared to this. And so the darkness of, of yeah the injustice of that, Uh, And God the Father would not allow that to go by without the symbolic sense of literal darkness. You've done this to my son. Think about this. The Lamb of God, the only righteous one that ever was. And so he shrouds it in darkness. Uh, Second, darkness is also a sign of sorrow, is it not? It is. It's a a symbol of sadness and grief. We see that in Amos 8, uh, 9, and 10. Let Let me read that for you. Amos eight nine and ten, and on that day declares the lord god i 'll make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight i 'll make it like the morning of an only sun, and the end of it like bitter day. Amos is speaking ahead of this day and uh and it is a sorrow is is it not it is when we when, when we sorrow darkness, why is it uh, uh, when we uh, go to a funeral, typically it's protocol to wear more of a drab color like black. You know, I don't see that written. It's not in the law, but people understand that. I know black tends to be very stylish now. A lot of a lot of ladies like to wear black, and that I think I think it, it shrinks you up, doesn't it? Make you look smaller? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like that. Uh, but it looks fashionable and all that. But but more than that, we th- we think about that. Times the same. well hearses. Have you noticed are not like chartreuse or brilliant red? They they tend to be black. Y- you know, less a child. And, and God forbid the death of a child. Well, sometimes they'll rent uh, or have a white hearse for a, for a child. But typically it's black. It's sorrow and the shrouding of that sorrow, sadness. What well, the lights went out, so so to speak, and. And uh, we know what that is to grieve and to suffer in that. And, so, and, and the Bible refers to that, of aid. And Dr. Boyce uh, wrote, and I put the quote down, it's as if a veil had been drawn over, the unspeakable suffering of God's Son. Sadness and grief. And there were people that were <coughs> standing uh, at the cross that were in tears. Uh, the uh, the mother of Jesus and Salome and others. And... and uh, Tears that only a mother could shed. Mary had uh, uh, kept all those things, all those memories, from the first announcement of the angel there in Nazareth and to the birth of the son in Bethlehem and to the rearing of him. And she lost, we would believe, Joseph. He died earlier. He's not found in the text in these latter years at all. And, and uh, there she is at the foot of the cross. Sadness, sorrow, not understanding. Lord, what's happening? It's like us, right? When God, what are you up to? We, so much of it's beyond us. Particularly at sudden death and sorrow and loss. Lord, I don't know what you're doing. We try to understand providence, and we we, we can't know. So we take a few steps, and maybe we get some light turned on. Oh, maybe that's why God did this or did that. And and but God keeps all of the reasons. He doesn't. Disclose—it's not full disclosure. Let me tell you all that we couldn't handle it. So if God said, well, "Let me tell you everything. I'm to get ready. Get ready on that. It never happened in heaven. God will tell us." Well, sadness and the third darkness is also a sign of God's judgment. This was the day of God's judgment uh, uh, when uh, when God's son suffered the wrath of God against human sin, and Zephaniah told of this and. Zephaniah 1.15, let me, let me read that text for you. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hasting fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter, and the mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So uh, Zephaniah points to this day, and it was at this very very moment, the darkness came across uh, the city of Jerusalem and the environment areas. Uh, This was the darkness of damnation, the day that Jesus suffered and died, the penalty that we deserved. God himself did this. He made the payment. He paid it all in this finished work. Darkness, clothed in darkness, to cover uh, his son in this great hour for this finished work. You know, I'm reminded it's a finished work. You know, the story's told of a, of a farmer one day who, hired, who had uh, hired a carpenter friend of his to build a gate there outside of his house there on the farm. And uh, the carpenter had been a friend of the farmer for a lot of years, and, and yet the carpenter did not know Christ. And the farmer had been burdened for him and had witnessed to him about the wonder of the Savior for years and years. And uh, the carpenter cat, you know, like most people, said, oh, I'm just trying to be good enough, keep the good Ten Commandments and the Golden Rule and, uh, and, and trying, uh, trying to do the best I can. I hear people tell me that so much. Even this week, a man told me that. Can't do it. And uh, so he asked him to build a gate for me. He built a beautiful gate. And you know, when it was all done, uh, the farmer... Uh, was looking at it, and the carpenter came up and uh, came up to get paid for doing that work. And right at that moment, the farmer really burdened for his uh, carpenter friend. Uh, he had some tools in his hand, began hacking away at the gate to the horror of the carpenter. Whoa, whoa, wait, whoa, what are you doing? <laughs> it's finished, it's, 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 it's. it's. And, uh, and, the, and the farmer stopped, and he just said, well, he said, I thought I'd add to what you did. And he said, You uh, thought he was out of his mind. And he said, You know, that's what you're trying to do with Christ. It's a finished work. Christ on the cross, shrouded with darkness, finished the work. It's yours to receive, it's a gift. You can't add to it any works of righteousness. So don't even try. You cheapen it. It's a finished work. And the carpenter got the message that day like he had never, never thought about it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've never thought about it. That the work of Christ on the cross that we celebrate is so much this week and walk through this is a finished work. And that God saves. And it's a gift of God. He's made the payment. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And we receive it with open empty, outstretched arms, we receive the righteousness that comes by faith, the gift of eternal life. I once was blind, but now I see, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. We turn from our sin, and we turn to the Savior. And we're wonderfully saved. That's what makes a Christian. The rest is uh, not window dressing. It's important in its place. But that's what saves. It's a finished work. Well darkness descended on the land the second the crucifixion miracle revealing the greatness of the of the work of the death of Christ is the tearing of the temple veil we find in verse 20 chapter 23 verse 45 that the way to god is now open As uh, Luke tells us in 45, when the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now, reading that quickly, you might just read right over it and not come to grips with what is going, what does that mean? So what? That the curtain was torn in two? What does that mean? Well, I'm reminded, first of all, that this miracle did not take place on Golgotha at Mount Calvary, but... A little bit of distance away, into the city, into the temple, into the to the uh, the, the divide between the holy and the most holy place. Uh, this temple uh, again, like the darkness, this uh, this uh, literal miracle, the tearing of this curtain, this drape, if you will, the divide between the uh, the the sections of the temple. Uh, was literal, and yet it has tremendous symbolic meaning. It's like God say, don't miss this. Don't miss this. Something's happening here. You know, wake up out of your sleep, people. Catch this. It's all important. Well, B, what, well what's it mean? Well, the veil, let's note first of all, was a heavy curtain uh, that separated the holy place from the most holy place uh, there in the temple. And there's only one temple in all of Jerusalem, uh, the holy place was where the priests performed many of their sacred duties uh, in the holy place. You have the Gentile court, the outer court, the holy place. Then you have the curtain, and then in the, the inner sanctum of the temple was the holy, most holy place, or the holy of holies in the King James. Uh, and in the holy place, not the the, the, the the most private part, is where the priest did a lot of their labors. The, the uh, incense symbolizing the prayers of the saints and, and, and the candlestick uh, the, uh, was, was there and, and so on. Uh, but the most holy place was strictly off limits. It was off limits. Only the high priest could enter behind the curtain once a year on the Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement. And only with blood in his hand could he enter. And if we can trust the the ancient writings of the historian Josephus, the Jewish writer of that day, he writes and says that the uh, the high priest they would tie a rope around his leg in case he didn't come out of there. They were afraid to go in there and they would just drag his body out. I mean, it was a place you just didn't go like no trespassing. Let's go, you know, take some apples here. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to, but let's do it. It wasn't like posted signs where we're not supposed to hunt there. You know, the owner doesn't want to say, well, we'll do it. He's not there. Uh, No, it was stay out. Don't go in. Only this guy, one day a year, he goes in twice. Once for his own sin, as he carries the blood of the bull with him, sprinkles that on the mercy seat, and then a second time he'd go in, for the sins of the people on the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. You see, God had, in His infinite wisdom and design, had told uh, through Moses that that would be His dwelling place. There would be a manifestation of His essence. Right there, you have the ark, which is a box. We think of Noah's ark, it was a box, it was a floating box. It was not like the QE. Uh, Two or one of these uh, Mary, you know some of these great ocean lines. It's a box. This was a small box It had a lid on it inside the box were the tablets of the Ten Commandments Also had Aaron's rod also had some manna that was put in the box It was covered with a lid on top of that the lid uh, was the mercy seat. Yeah, the cherubim up here and God's presence dwelt between the two and the blood would be sprinkled over the law. It would cover the law because we were lawbreakers. And God would look down and see the blood and, and, uh, and forgive uh, our sins. In a temporary basis, looking forward to the coming of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus. You didn't go in there. That's the point. You didn't go in there. <clears throat> uh the curtain, you should, in number two, was 30 feet by 30 feet. Uh, and I had that quite wrong. It, it should be 100 square yards. I hope your shows that. It was 100 square yards of material, about one inch thick. The text says the thickness of a man's hand, about one inch. It was heavy draped material. The curtain was tightly woven, it was multi-layer of thread, it was multi-color, it was quite beautiful, actually, with various colors separating, our God is a God of color, and he delights in color, and then this was it, and and so on. So it probably weighed hundreds and hundreds of pounds, if not thousands of pounds, as it hung across dividing, Uh, and really it was like a sign, and the message was clear, I'm holy, you're not, stay out, stay out. I'm unapproachable only because you're a sinner, a rebel. And uh, you cannot just mosey on in. That's an expression I don't hear too much of my mother would say. Mosey over here and do this, mosey over here and do that. People just mosey in. Couldn't mosey in on this one. Stay out. That's the whole theme of the of the book of Leviticus. It's the Leviticus is really the priestly manual for The Old Testament, didn't you know that? They had to memorize that, as well as the rest of the Pentateuch. And and the whole manual was, I'm holy, you're not. This is the only way in which you can even begin to approach me, and it's through the shedding of blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And that was all as a tutor to teach them, to bring them unto God. Well, Matthew and Mark tell us at that very moment, and there's the reference in Matthew 27:51 and Mark 50, at that very moment that Jesus is on the cross, at the very moment that he is going to give now his spirit up, it's 3 o'clock, the veil of the temple from the top to the bottom is torn open and hangs open to this inner sanction where the presence of God had dwelt for 1,400 years. Uh, the tabernacle first, and then the temple, was now open. so say, well, what does that mean? What's the purpose of that? Here it is. In the death of Christ, the way to God was now open. Open. It's what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The way to God the Father was now open through the cross of Christ. And I just have to comment again on God's timing. Don't you marvel at God's timing is the backbone of Bible uh, interpretation. You know, it's not funny time. Whether it's creation week or whether it's uh, years in the wilderness or years in Egypt or these years, it's not. Uh, And here's the exact timing. God has created time and has a decree and council and works within time. I mean, I think about uh, each one of you that are here. You're born at this time, and your families are not accidents and all of that. God's plan is all-encompassing, and I marvel at that. And we're, we're, we're given to mark the passage of time. That's part of the reason for the creation of the sun and the moon and the calendar that uh, and I'm grateful for that, right? I mean, uh, just think if you didn't weren't able to mark time. I know, I know they say we Americans loved, love our watches. We worship our time. We keep looking at it, you know, like, like uh, time is passing. Got to go. Got to be productive. And those are good things in their place, right? Right at the exact time. Notice it wasn't like a week earlier. Hey, it ripped open here. What's this mean? Or, you know, like 10 years after Pentecost. Hey, what's this mean? You know, like at that right moment. There we go. Again. again, we see the hand of God working at any moment in his world, in his time, and rips it open. Now, it was from the top to the bottom, and, uh, and not the other way around. If it were men that were in there, the priests were always there worshiping, even at that point, even at this moment, that Jesus is on the cross. Uh, what, if they took machetes or something, started hacking their way into that, some rebels come in there and kind of do that priest would never allow him to do that anyway, but uh, it, would be, it wouldn't be from the top down. It was like God saying with his finger from heaven, that's it. That's done. That was the tutor to bring us unto Christ. It's no longer needed anymore because my son has done a finished work at the cross. The way to God is now open. Well, see, just to remind us again, what did it mean? As Jesus offered his body as the last sacrifice for his people, this would end the whole, old time, the whole Old Testament system of sacrifice that was given to point to his finished work. The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ, and that's what it did. Over 1,400 years, no more goats, no more lambs, no, no more bulls were needed. A finished work. Sounds like Ecclesiastes, right? The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Isn't that, isn't that true? You finish a project around the house, it's been on the list forever, and you finally knock that thing out, and you're like, glad that that's done. Finished. Yay. This is the finishing of the greatest work ever. And all that other was, was preparatory, pointing unto that final work of Christ on the cross and the great work. Well. Wow. Well, too. now through Jesus, the way to God the Father was now open, and you should know that many priests were saved. Did you know that in Acts 6-7? Many of them. Dr. Luke wrote Acts, and he writes in 6-7 that many of the priests were obedient, the text says, to the faith. They, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the priest of Emmanuel. Imagine the conversation that day in the hall of the priest. I was there in the veil row. It was like the finger of God right down in it, and it hung open and we were horrified. We thought we would die. I mean, you can imagine the conversation, right? What does all this mean? And not many days hence, God is going to save some of these and draw them into the church. It's amazing. You see, God didn't allow his, the death of his son to go without some contemporary miraculous events that surrounded the death of our Savior on his way to providing salvation for us. Wow. Well, we have the darkness, the tearing of the veil at the moment, right at the right moment, and finally the third, we see the conversion of the centurion, the Roman soldier. And now we discover in our text in verse 47 that God's former enemies are now part of his own family. In and, and verse 47, and, and Luke writes... Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds had assembled for the spectacle. When they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Verse 47, we find the conversion of the centurion. We discover that God's former enemies are now his own. His own family. You know that's us? You're in the picture here, and so am I. We are born enemies of God. You say, well, I'm I'm a pretty nice guy. Well, we're at enmity. That means hostile. That means an enemy of God. We're born in darkness, children of darkness. Paul says that in Ephesians 2. We're born by nature. We're children of wrath. Uh, We deserve wrath. We're born sinners and we sin. That's what sinners do. And here the centurion, and he's a master of execution, you know. He, he was the head honcho there on Ga- uh, Golgotha that day. And the, the uh, underlings in the Roman army worked for him. And he had to oversee all that. He actually had to authenticate whether they died or not. And his signature and seal were all important. He was the master of death. He had seen hundreds and hundreds. Uh, it stands to reason people executed on the cross in that torturous, uh, most wickedly devised way of killing men. Yeah, I say that because it's one of the, uh, it prolongs death for so many hours and even days. You know, we talk about that in capital punishment. Some of the states have that and some do not. And, and they talk about a merciful uh, way of, of executing uh, criminals that have been found guilty uh, of, of of they used to call it murder one. And what's a merciful way of doing that? And sometimes they'll say, well, that lecture chair, that's not very merciful. And, and uh, doing some uh, in, inoculations of certain drugs, that's not in a gas chamber, that's not, you know, talk about merciful killing. Well, the Romans were just the opposite. What are some of the most torturous ways that we can execute common criminals so that the, the population will look at that and be horrified and live according to the law? And uh, the crucifixion was, uh, it's attested by many uh, as being about the absolute worst way. For oftentimes they would hang for days and days on the cross. You know, it was illegal for a Roman citizen to be crucified. They considered it such a wicked, wicked thing. And the cross was so despised by the early centuries of the church, uh, not of the church, of people in that uh, Roman Empire as a uh, the executional uh, 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 tool used to extinguish the life of common criminals, uh, those that were not Romans, that the cross was not quickly gained to be the uh, the symbol of the, of the of the church. I mean, uh, the the early symbols of the church were the the, uh, the peacock, the fish, Iscus, you know, uh, the Son of God in the acronym there, uh, the dove. You know, we think of that. Sometimes you see the dove, uh, the the symbol of peace, uh, Noah's Ark and the dove and all that. And it was slow to come, the cross. Be, it'd be like, you, you know, uh, walking around and, and a number of you ladies wear crosses in your chain. You, and you want f- folks to know that, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. You know, that cross means everything to me. He died for me at that place. But today, uh, perhaps in, in our culture in America, Uh, I don't know that Pennsylvania still use electric chair, but it'd be like having an electric chair. Uh, uh, You know, uh, 14-karat gold dipped in that, and what's that? It's it's an electric chair. Well, that's really odd that you would do something like that. And and that was what the, I mean, uh, the cross symbolized it. It was the common criminal, and that was the offense of the cross that Paul writes about, uh, the, uh, the evil of that. That God would so send his son to die. But not only that, as Phobians, the death, the death of the cross. I mean, it was the lowliest of lowly. Think of the love of God for us. And here's a centurion, a master executioner. And he was. And this Roman soldier overseeing the execution, and he's converted there. Well, oh, what a thing that God should do that for his son. And teaching us this, uh, the the don't miss this—the greatest of all events. The the chief guy going on from Rome as to what's going on there at Golgotha. Though. he's converted, he's praising God. It's uh, it's amazing, and God has a way of doing that. You know, yeah, We think about this person or that, we think, they'd be a great Christian, they? We say, oh man, that'd be they'd, they'd add so much to the church and the family, and they're a nice guy or she's a nice lady or this or that. <clears throat> Sometimes we we hardly ever think that about so certain people don't we 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 just think like oh well, you know they deserve hell or something we we don't think that way too much but sometimes we do you know paul was like that i mean he killed christians he locked them up he beat them up he persecuted the church that's why paul said i'm the least of the apostles you talk about amazing grace i'm exhibit a but you know god has a way of doing that Here's the persecutor of the church, and God wonderfully saves him. Here's the executioner. He may have driven the nails into the Lord Jesus. That's why he said on here, he he may have been in part, part of the answer to the Lord's prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe he was the one driving the nails, in. if not, he was the one overseeing it as the centurion. He was the captain of at least 100 men in his detachment. And that God should visit him with salvation. How do I know that? Because pagan men do not praise God. They don't. They praise himself. Well, we're good at that, aren't we? I hug myself today, you know? Or praise myself, or praise man, or praise... uh, He's praising God. Surely this is the Son of God. And uh, he had seen death upon death upon death upon death, and no death was like this death that was the death of death in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God wonderfully visits him and saves him. I say here, different people responded to the cross in different ways. The enemies, they're jeering. Yeah, you know, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Jump off the cross. If he had done that, we'd be in a heap of trouble today. None of us would be saved. Could have done that. Could have called 10,000 angels. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. Uh, The disciples, some of them stayed. Seems like some of them fled. Some hid and watched from a distance. The reaction was different. The woman stood there and watched in brokenheartedness, and we saw that. Uh, one man stood there, could not keep silent, the centurion, but he declared Jesus is innocent. This man is innocent. His sinful heart had been transformed by the supernatural power of God. And the natural man, I'm reminded again, does not praise God. He praises himself. And I said to you that... Uh, Uh, Maybe it's in part answer to Jesus' prayer. Father, forgive them. What a confession. Truly, this man is the Son of God. God there even at the cross of his Son, cloaked in darkness, the veil of the temple ripping, and the conversion of the guy who oversaw the execution. Things that accompany this, the greatest of all works, shout to us the glory of this work. Praise God for that. God takes an enemy and he makes him into a family member. That's the work of salvation. That's what God does in reconciling you and I. and makes us part of his family, even like this centurion. Well, this was an absolute miracle, as the very one who crucified Jesus was one of the first people to trust him at the cross. In fact, you read the text through even this week, he's the only person to praise God uh, at the cross. You won't find it written in any of the Gospels, any other person, who is giving praise to the Lord, standing at the foot of the cross. And he's the boss of what's going on there on behalf of Rome, carrying out the wicked plot of Pilate and the religious leaders of Jerusalem in that day. Wow. It reminds us of John 1.13, where John writes, We're born not of blood, nor of the will of man, are we? But born of God. Born of God. God produces birth, new birth in us. Well, what can we say about this, the greatest work ever done? It certainly wasn't like the lunar uh, launch, very different than that, different than building uh, buildings and bridges and pyramids and all these kind of things and canals. Uh, this is the greatest work that will stand throughout all eternity, the cross of Jesus. What can we say But lessons for our life? Number one, remember this, uh, this is the Holy Week. Holy means distinct, altogether different, Out of 52 weeks of the year, this is the high point. The week, as God was accomplishing his great plan of redemption. The finished work. It is finished. It's ours to receive. Praise God for that. Number two. Sin is our greatest problem. It's not your lack of a job or lack of a better job or your lack of talent or your lack of good looks or lack of something, right? I need more friends, or I need, uh, you know, I need this or that, I need more money, or I need, I need this, I need that, or blah, blah, blah. No, your greatest problem is, is sin. That's my, my greatest problem. We're born with it, and the Lord solved it. The Lord himself shall, will, will meet the need. He will supply. He's Jehovah Jireh, and he did that in Christ. And we ought to be moved in our heart, allow it to go from our head to our heart, this week, if you know him and love him and be moved and think about that, to the old, old story with a sense of freshness that God cared for my sin, all of it, all of it. How many sins do you think you've committed? You know, some of you are good at math, some of you are not so good. Pretty, pretty high, huh? Enormous amount. I was thinking about that the other day. Lord, you've forgiven me thousands? Probably more than that. Lord, forgive me. Oh, thank you so much. Just musing on that, you know. Wow. He did that for me. Wow. God moved towards me. He moved towards you. We didn't go running towards him. That's the gospel. Wow. What a work. Number three: the door of salvation is open today. I'm reminded the door's open. It's in Christ, in the finished work, the death that he died, that we're, we, we will remember, especially this week. The door's open. I am the door, John 10. You got to go in through him. the door of the sheepfold. Uh, someday the door's going to be closed. Be closed. Be too late. Isn't that a terrible thing? It's one thing to be late for work or late to practice or late for supper. I don't want to be late for supper. But uh, to have the door shut and slant no more. The day of salvation is over. Today is the day. It's open. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you never heard that. You're lost. According to the word of God. You are you're lost in sin. You die like this, you're in deep trouble. Hell forever. There's no escape. You must call upon the name of Jesus today and be saved. The quietness of your heart, you can do that. I can pray with you. Anyone, a friend, how do I do this? What's this mean? I've never heard this. This is the great news. Better than any sports team winning. Better than any family news or anything nationally. God in Christ died for sinners. Whosoever believes upon him shall be saved. Have you done that? It's just not for kids. It's for all people everywhere. I wish everyone's eyes turned a certain color, you know. Uh when there's when they know Christ the Lord is Savior, then we know you're in, you know. And if not, we keep, you know, praying for you, talking to you, urging you. Trust Christ. Don't miss it. The door's gonna be closed someday. Today's the day. Number four. Number four especially this week. I want to urge every one of us to think of what Christ did for you. Think about it. As you take your time and prayerfully read through the Gospel accounts of the Passion Week, and I've been doing that, and I urge you to do that as we move towards Resurrection Sunday, think about it slowly. Don't read it fast and allow it to, Lord, teach me the things you have for me this week. And number five and last, Know that uh, you were born an enemy of God. Like the centurion, right? Enemy. Overseeing the crucifixion of the Son of God. You know, we've, some of us have done some pretty bad things, some pretty dumb things. they go, like, Lord, how can you forgive me? Think about him. He oversaw the execution of, of God's Son. Wow. Why didn't I stop that? Why didn't? I? I, I enemy of God. And, and yet God forgave him. We're born enemies, and the great work of the cross brings us into the adoption. We're adopted as his children. Wow, sons and daughters. It's no wonder we shall sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Read that in Revelation 4 and 5. The great song of heaven, worthy is the lamb. That God (laughs) counts us as his children. Man, and none of us are going to be strutting our stuff, saying, "Yeah, yeah, I deserve to be here. Nobody will. <laughs> you probably get shown the door in a hurry. <laughs> None of us will be, we'll be amazed that we're there. And you'll be amazed that I'm there. And I'll be amazed that you're there. We'll all be amazed. All because of the cross, the great work. Praise God for it. Let's stand and be dismissed.